Spirit 88.9 FM, we are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning and welcome. I'm Bruce McGregor. She is... Chris McGregor. That makes us the McGregors. And today we're joined by another Mick, a McCarran. Patricia McCarran, Associate Professor of French at Drury University in Missouri. A longtime devotee, as she says, of St. Bernadette. Uh, has a book out on, uh, it's called A Holy Life, St. Bernadette of Lourdes. And uh, Patricia, good morning and welcome to the program. Good morning and thank you so much for having me. Patricia, I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart for putting out this book, A Holy Life, The Writings of St. Bernadette of Lourdes, because I've always loved Bernadette, but I didn't know her. I thought I did, but I didn't until I have I had your book, and now it's I'm carrying it everywhere. I'm reading it every chance I get. I go back. I thumb through it. This was a remarkable soul. She really was, and, and you really warm my heart with, with that, uh, with your words there. She really was a remarkable soul, very special woman. And we've never seen her as she really was. We always see her interpreted or filtered through you know, a movie or a book about her, a novel, and those are always interpretations. And what astonished me was to find out just how much more interesting and inspiring and moving she is in her own words. Right. Is that uh, really what sparked your interest in, in this book about uh, St. Bernadette? Um, that's kind of a complicated question. I, I discovered the song of Bernadette, that movie, when I was in my early 20s, and it was the first time I'd ever even... I, I'm a, a convert, and I wasn't really raised in any religion, and it was the first time I had ever even heard of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. So there was something authentic in that movie, in spite of how kind of sentimentalized it was. And it just stayed with me. And I, I read everything about her that I could. And then um, when I discovered that she had written letters and that she had a private spiritual notebook, I, I, I had no other, uh, mm-hmm. there was no decision. I had to translate it. I just felt compelled to do so. And it was a joy. You know, that's the thing. I, I think my images of Bernadette as a, as a young child growing up, was the portrayal by Jennifer Jones, which was beautiful. I mean, it was a a real homage to her and to just to the story. It's a beautiful telling in a way that you you really don't get stories out of Hollywood like that anymore. (laughs) But it didn't, at the end of the story, when she went off to the convent, a lot of people, you got the impression that she was completely isolated, that she was miserable, maybe, because she was suffering, but also because of her separation from her family, but you've really broken it open where she really wasn't as isolated as we perceived. No, no, she was very devoted to her vocation. She had many close friends uh, at the convent. She was beloved at the convent, and she she had a very full life. She did suffer enormously. Um, She had cholera when she was a little girl, about 11. Before that and ever after that, she had asthma, and the cholera made the asthma even worse. Um, she did have tuberculosis of the bones and the lungs, and, and she was sick. She was a very sick young woman and a very high-spirited woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so she suffered, but she, she brought meaning to that suffering by offering it up to God. But she was not isolated in that way. She did miss her family enormously, and travel was difficult in the 19th century in France. Sure. There were constant letters back and forth to her family members. I, you know, I, I, I just have this, this image. I, I guess I didn't appreciate that she was so tiny, too. 
I know. Well, I think after the cholera, she never grew again. And I don't know if your your listeners know this, but she is incorrupt. They exhumed her body in 1909 and discovered her just flawless. She's beautiful. And when I saw her for the first time at the convent where um, she lived and then finally passed away, I was just stunned by how beautiful she was and also how tiny she was. And at first, you know, it seemed kind of sweet. She was so little. And then when I found out that it was as a result of of her disease, it, it kind of made me look at that a little bit differently. For our, our Protestant brothers and sisters who may not know the story, um, it, part of that, when you just mentioned it was her being incorrupt, is that she was buried actually in a coffin in the ground for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And when they exhumed her, when they began the canonization process, which is a normal thing when they can do that, they'll check to make sure that that person is buried at that site, that they did find her, um, she hadn't uh, decayed. No, not only that, her habit was damp. Her rosary had rusted through, and she was in perfect condition. She is more beautiful now than most of us have ever been in our lives. (laughs) That's right. And they and you can go to France and see this uh, and to visit the body of Saint Bernadette. And it's not it's not as though they have a special container. It's glass, but it's not like it's a vacuum type of enclosure no absolutely not it's a natural concern and in that in itself is seems quite miraculous isn't it it is it really is but it but but what's really miraculous is the life of this of this soul of this woman who is saint bernadette and you um i want to begin breaking open because the legacy that she left was not just this image but also of um her witness and i think that's uh that's what's so important. Well, you know, I was initially attracted to the story because of the miraculous apparitions, because of the miracles, the healings that happened as a result of those apparitions. It's fascinating. But I have to say that spending day after day translating her, and when you translate someone, you get very close to her, because I was trying so hard to be faithful to represent her just as she really was, and to keep myself out of it. And so to get so close to her and and see that really the life that she led after the apparition, what she did with the great grace she had been given was so impressive and moving. She felt an enormous sense of responsibility to live a worthy life, and she felt totally unworthy of the grace she'd been given. Mm -hmm. But she took her vocation so seriously. She was so humble, so courageous, and, and just valiant. And she intentionally sought holiness. And for me, that was, in many ways, more moving. Once I, I got past the apparitions, it, for me personally, it was, it was so much more moving because she's an, she's an example, a role model for all of us that we're all called to holiness. She lived several uh, several decades before Therese the Little Flower, and yet she often would say, I will not forget anyone. Yes. She promised to pray for someone, and that, but she was very humble, and she felt that her prayers were very weak. She says that repeatedly. Isn't that something? It really is, because most of us would think if we'd been given that great grace that our prayers would not be so weak, but she genuinely did feel that, and 
on everything any, anyone would ask her to sign, she always signed it, pray for Bernadette. Yes, because she always felt so unworthy. She did. She did. And it wasn't an artificial um, sense of unworthiness. It was a genuine, deep sense of unworthiness and humility. And you see that especially in her little spiritual notebook, which is, to me, just a jewel. Bernadette's often considered or called the, the most secret of saints. And it's because she, she really did not want the attention that came to her through these apparitions. And when you read her little spiritual notebook, so many of the things that she wrote about were just this, this attempt to, to cultivate humility. She saw that as the most important virtue. She, she says, after all the other virtues are left aside, virtue, humility, it will be the last most shining one that human beings should seek. Mm. Amen to that. We're visiting today with uh, Patricia McGarren, author of a wonderful, wonderful book on uh, the writings of St. Bernadette of Lourdes. It's called A Holy Life. And we were talking off mic, and I, Bruce was joking about how I haven't been able to put the book down. And uh, It's true. It's true. <laughs> well, I haven't. And there are times where I, you know, Patricia, there, I, I smile so hard. And then there are other times where I... Like the other night, I just tears were coming down because I'd never appreciated in her suffering towards the end of her life how not only we we know that she had tuberculosis, correct? Right. But she also suffered in a way because she was so worried for her brother Pierre and what would happen to him. That just, it was so, just the letters that you were able to translate. She, uh, she just, was so devoted to her two brothers and sister, and uh, she was the oldest of the family. And when her, both of the parents died, she just even at the distance because Nevers, the the city where the convent was, was a distance from Lourdes, uh, difficult to travel in that time period. But she she considered herself the head of the family, and she prayed c- constantly for Pierre to find the right vocation, and for her, her brother Jean. She prayed for the entire family, but Pierre was the youngest, and um, there were some incidences where she'd be told something had happened that hadn't quite happened, and she would write to the priests in Lourdes, and please tell me the truth. If Pierre did this, I want to know, and it was something he hadn't done, and it was kind of blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. But she would give advice, and to her little goddaughter, she'd write letters of advice, and she is so human. She's so vividly present in her letters. And you see her in, in all of her humanity. You do. And the the struggle that she had being separated from her family, but as they suffered, as her sister, Marie would have miscarriage or the death of a child. Over and over and over. Right. And she took those to heart and she took those to prayer. She did. She took everything to prayer. She took everything to prayer, and she she wrote letters that trying to console her sister. And her letters are really so filled with with just a, a faith that is is just interwoven into everything she thinks, every reaction she has. She has a faith reaction to every experience in her life, and she tries so hard to share that with her brother and sisters and and other loved ones. I found very compelling too the letter that she wrote to the pope to the holy father mm-hmm. asking for an apostolic uh, what, blessing right 
that that's priceless. I've never seen that before. It, it, she she didn't feel worthy to write that letter. She wrote she wanted his apostolic blessing as anyone would, but her bishop asked her to write that letter, and she was just overcome with with this feeling of unworthiness. How can I, a little sister, write to His Holiness? And then she says, but then I remembered that you're like a father to us. You are a father to us. And so in that kind of context, she writes the letter, and it's a beautiful letter, and she talks about her weapons are, are uh, prayer and um, that as long as she is on earth, she can use this in prayer as a weapon in the in the sense of fighting whatever um, obstacles we have in this life, spiritual obstacles. And it is a beautiful letter. It, that the one that's in the book is actually the fourth draft. There were there were three mm. drafts before that. I think I'd probably do a few drafts before I sent one. <laughs> <laughs> I would too, and we didn't have cut and paste back in those days. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you'd probably be agonizing over it for weeks. I mean, oh, absolutely. So, yeah. And you know, uh, another sister. She was so weak at that time. She was so ill that another sister had to write the hold the little writing desk. Uh, she was in bed writing the letter, and somebody else had to hold the little writing desk while she was writing the letter. You even have in here a letter that was written by a doctor. Because there was a time, even while Bernadette was alive, that people started having, I mean, well, they they always had misgivings about what was happening at Lourdes. But even many years later, there was still this, she made this up, this is a hallucination, mm-hmm. and she had to be examined. And you have letters from a doctor who examined her, said she's rather sickly looking, 27-year-old woman, but, and she's calm and gentle nature, and she cares for her patients, and it, and with a great deal of intelligence. Exactly. This doctor was her doctor when she was a patient, and she was uh, a nurse's aide in the infirmary. So when she wasn't a, a patient herself, she was serving the other sisters who were in the infirmary. And she performed her duties meticulously, efficiently, kindly. She was an excellent nurse. And uh, just she's really a woman of common sense. She's just a down-to-earth sensible woman. And um, so the doctor writes this letter and to, to refute these accusations that she was hysterical and hallucinating. And he, he came to the conclusion after knowing her for years, he worked with her for many years, that there would be no opportunity for this type of woman to, to be given to hallucination. The one thing that comes through very clear, a lot of times when we think of St. Bernadette, we think of that 14-year-old girl. Exactly. We kind of stop in time there, don't we? Mm-hmm. We do. And what you've done is you realize that what who was canonized was this whole person. Exactly. And I think that the, the really the cause for canonization was originally open because of her role model for holiness. It wasn't simply because she had the apparitions of the Virgin Mary. I mean, she was given an incredible grace, and she handled it so beautifully. What really impresses me, too, is just how scrupulously honest she was. She was Mm -hmm. interrogated repeatedly by ecclesial authorities, by civil authorities. She was taken down to to the jail. I mean, she was repeatedly interrogated, Mm -hmm. and she never changed her story. 
she didn't always say every detail that had happened, but she always remained consistent in the story that she told. So we kind of stopped there, you know, when at the apparitions, we, it, which is, it is, it's, it's just a beautiful story. It is wonderful, and there are still healings to this day. Mm-hmm. Right. There are spiritual and physical healings that happen at Lourdes. But to me, just the, the the completion of her life and how she felt the sense of responsibility to live up to that grace is such an inspiration for us. And I think these days we need some solid role models for holiness because we're all called to holiness. And the fact that a, a, a lot of times we have images, because, I think maybe because of the movie, mm-hmm. that she didn't she never learned how to read she never knew how to write i mean but she really grew in her education as she as she got older i was stunned to find out that she could write actually when when um she was visited by the virgin mary she only spoke patois which is kind of a mix between spanish and french she didn't even speak standard french and then the sisters with whom she eventually joined taught her to read and write and to speak french so I, when I discovered that she had written letters and had a spiritual notebook, I was really stunned because I had been devoted to her for years. In fact, she's really in, in large part uh, responsible for my conversion, at least opening that door. She's the, the only name I considered when I was being confirmed. So, um, But it was really a surprise to me to discover that she was a very smart woman. She didn't have the benefit of a of a very high education, but what she did have, she used very well. One of my favorite, well, there's so many of them, but one of my favorite points in the book is where the Prussians are coming in. (laughs) And you want to tell that story? You go ahead, you go ahead. Well, well, they talk, the enemy is close. And so she wrote, I could easily forego seeing the Prussians, but I am not afraid of them. God is everywhere, even in the middle of the Prussians. Exactly. I remember when I was little after one of, is it Father, help me with the pronunciation again, Paramel? Paramal. Mm-hmm. Paramal. You did find them. Thank you. Mm-hmm. After one of uh, Father Paramal's sermons, I heard some people saying, bah, he's only doing his job. It seems to me that the Prussians are only doing their job too. She's <laughs> so matter of fact. And see the faith that it would take that you would have to, I mean, to, to face, because they were in danger. There were encampments. I mean, the, the, the French soldiers used the convent as a, as a hospital, and there were, they, they had cannons set up. They were in great danger. The sisters had their trunks packed and ready to evacuate. It didn't come to that. But, I mean, this was serious danger right on their front step. And her faith was so great that you see the response in that letter. You have to have an enormous amount of faith to be faced with... Uh, that kind of a scenario and react that way. Yeah, be so cool. Exactly. The private notes, which is actually the first part of the book, Mm -hmm. I found that that's a perfect for anybody. I mean, those are spiritual tips that everybody could use every day. Absolutely. And you can meditate on any one of those, just a complete, as a complete meditation for a day, for a week, for a year, she compiled um, notes from writers, saints, great spiritual leaders that were really important to her. So all of those spiritual notes are not original, but they are all um, quotations that meant a great deal to her. 
some of them are original um, to her, but they are so deep, and I found that, I think, probably a, a greater entree into her own private spiritual life than anything else. Yeah, I would say that uh, just to get the book, A Holy Life, just for that section, it's like looking at the playbook for a saint. You know, it's like a, a saint's playbook. That's a great way to put it, Chris. Well, we're from Nebraska and the <laughs> Karnaskars. Football. <laughs> Football. Football. But it is. It is. It's, 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 it, even if they're not all original to her, it's what helped form her to be the person that she is. And what a remarkable person. I know. Well, you know, I have uh, some of these quotations I've just, <laughs> I have just printed and hidden in places around my house. So when I go into a closet, there's that quotation to remind me because I, I find them just so uplifting and such a great goal to, to seek and to shoot for. Well, and you have helped to bring that forward to us, to this, you know, the life of this remarkable young girl who was able to say, but she told me her name is, I am the Immaculate Conception. Right. Uh, to have the courage to be able to say that. Yeah. I know, uh, Patricia, we're both uh, a little jealous here looking over uh, your bio information and stuff. You spent some time in France in the late 90s. Well, um, I've actually spent quite a bit of time in France. You have. Well, lucky you. Uh, and then, of course, well, perhaps the late 90s, uh, that's when you were drawn to visit Lourdes? Well, you know, I had always wanted to go to Lourdes, but um, I've been in France many times, and um, be, just because of my, my professional sure. necessity, uh-huh. I'm a, a French professor. And it, it was just so far out of the way that I never was able to go. And then this one year, in uh, 1997, it, I think, um, I was going to be in the south of France doing a business French seminar, I thought, well, I'm going over to Lourdes that weekend. And um, I went, and it was so moving. And quite frankly, I wasn't Catholic at that point. When I came back, I started the RCIA process. Wow. Never looked back. But I wasn't Catholic at that point. I was just drawn. I was just drawn there. And that's why I was saying I think there are spiritual healings. It's not just physical healings that happen in Lourdes. Um, and the first time I was at the grotto, I had arrived late, and it was kind of cold and rainy, and I was the only person at the grotto. That doesn't happen very often. I was going to say, that's quite a grace-filled moment. It was, it was, and it was just such an important place for me to pray and to meditate about the meaning of Lord, which is conversion and penance, and um, it, it, was, it was very moving for me. But when I went back and was with my other uh, colleagues uh, for about a week, they kept teasing me. That where'd you go this weekend, Patricia? I said I went to Lourdes, and it was after that. It was Saint Patricia this, and it was a bit <laughs> difficult. <laughs> well, I think you were being given the grace to start a very important project. Yeah, I, I think so too. I didn't realize it at the time, but I can tell you, Chris, it was a joy to work on this book. It would be it would be fitting for Our Lady to uh, want to lift up her, her faithful servant in such a special way. I think so, Indeed. too. Uh, Patricia, in, in going through this process and compiling this book and everything, uh, is there anything you learned about Bernadette that might surprise any of us? Well, I think some of that we've already talked about, the, the, just the amount of suffering that she went through right. and how she responded to it so beautifully. That surprised me. Um, the depth of her, of her faith, 
surprised me. The fact that she was incorrupt, I had no idea about that. That surprised me. One thing that really moved me, too, and for me as a, as a um, French professor, this was very meaningful. When, when Bernadette was speaking to Our Lady, Our Lady was the first person in Bernadette's life to ever address her with the formal form of you. In French, there's an informal and there's a formal form. And Bernadette was a peasant. She mm-hmm. was poverty-stricken. She was ill. She, I mean, they had been reduced, her family had been reduced to living in a former prison cell, a family of six, that had been condemned as too unhealthy for prisoners. And here was a young woman who had, a 14-year-old girl who had asthma and, and had, you know, was still recovering from the effects of cholera. Right. And Our Lady addressed her as vous, which is very respectful. And no one had ever addressed her like that before. For me, that was moving, and it was also kind of a confirmation that it was indeed Our Lady. Absolutely. Well, leave, leave you've it, got me crying to, again, Patricia. Nope. <laughs> leave, leave, it, leave it to our mother. Absolutely. Well, Patricia, we want to thank you so much for uh, spending time with us, uh, but not only that, but for uh, compiling this book, A Holy Life, The Writings of St. Bernadette of Lourdes. Available at all of our Catholic bookstores, but also at IgnatiusPress.com. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your interest in the book. Absolutely. Are you kidding? This is wonderful. (laughs) I'm so pleased to hear that. Bernadette would be so happy, I think. Oh, Well, Patricia, thanks, and uh, God bless. God bless you, too. Thank you so much, Chris and Bruce.